Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Aaron is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Aaron Peterson. Hi everyone, this is Aaron Peterson. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. So here's the thing, being a talent acquisition leader is a tough job, and if that's your title, you need lots of friends. I hope this podcast will become one of your friends as we dive into the brains of the big fish in our industry and swim around a little with them, seeing how they tackle the joys and the challenges of leading global recruiting. Okay, so enough with the metaphor. I think you get it. Let's go and let's meet my next guest for this episode. For our big launch, I caught up with Tara Noonan Amaral at ERE. She's the SVP and Head of Talent Acquisition for Fidelity Investments. I've known Tara for a long time and I was really privileged to be able to pick her brain for a good hour and a half. Her career since graduating from Brown University spans 30 years with a focus on financial services organizations like J.P. Morgan Chase, Hewitt Associates, now Aon, New York Life, and ADP. She's held both client-facing business roles as well as internal corporate roles and had an interesting pivot into RPO. But here's what I love best about Tara's background. She's the embodiment of Sheryl Sandberg's lean-in concept. Tara has taken the hard assignments, overcome huge obstacles, led things nobody else wanted to, taken risks, and learned a ton along the way. My interview with Tara was rich enough that I decided to break it up into three parts. So here's episode one, part two of Big Fish in the Talent Pool with Tara Amaral. Enjoy. Okay, let's talk about RPO. So you've run an RPO before. What's your current thinking on the state of RPO, especially for global companies? Yeah, so I think um, regardless of where you need the RPO help, I think a lot of it starts with, do you have a good process and do you have a good plan? I always tell people that when you're thinking about outsourcing, um, think about it like building a house. So you engage with an architect and they create a plan. And then your RPO provider comes up with a plan to meet your needs based on what you're telling them, what your process is, how many people you're gonna hire, when you're gonna hire, and the discipline. And when you're good on that plan, things can go very well. Assuming that there's a lot of change management and support because the, there, there are definitely gonna be process changes. You can't outsource a broken process. Um, I think some of the challenges come in in today's marketplace, whether it's an analyst report or a storm or some other um, tragedy, when there's too much variation, you cannot predict your costs all the time. And that sometimes catches everybody off guard. Right. Um, so I think you really have to understand why are you outsourcing, what are you outsourcing. I do believe some partners are getting much more flexible. Like we've talked to some partners about can we just do source to slate as opposed to full cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that there is more flexibility in the market. We actually um, had been looking, and then we took a pause because the, our most volatile area through this Scrum and Agile process, we actually work with the business to reduce attrition, which ultimately ended up we hired few, um, 1,700 fewer people, which would have been the partner, I, the volume I gave to the RPO because wow. it would go up and down. Mm -hmm. 
that's stabilized now. So now I have a fairly predictive view. And the next question is, is can I do it from a cost and quality standpoint better than an RPO partner? Right. So, so you're dealing with it more from the demand side as opposed to the supply side. Exactly. Okay. And so it's, wow. been, a, it's been really game-changing for us from a predictive standpoint. Okay. Really interesting. So it's not just your mess for less? You no, we can't do that. I've, I've been there. <laughs> You've been there. Yes, um, but I think people underestimate what you have to do because you just can't outsource. You still need somebody who's going to manage the partnership, understand what the trigger points are, understand when you know, there's market saturation and things like that. So it still has to be actively managed. Right. No doubt. Where are your favorite learning sources on the topic of recruitment and hiring? Could be any source. Yeah, so I um, I walk to work every day in Boston. It takes me about 40 minutes. So I usually use that time to catch up on uh, reading that's not too distracting because I don't want to bump into someone, podcasts and other things. So I actually took a tip from my kids and I put together a Reddit stream. And so it's a combination of ERE, Wall Street Journal, um, the New York Times, and then industry publications around ERE, HCI conference boards um, leads. I was recently in San Francisco and I just actually upped my subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle because they've got a fair a very relevant tech section and this weekend there were you know two pages on recruiting technology which I didn't expect and the woman had not attended HR tech. Wow. So I think one of because one of the trends we're seeing in Boston is and at HR Tech, some of our best solutions may not be growing up in the HR vertical. They may be coming from other things because if you think about it, the candidate experience is like a buying experience. And right. so as I said to a colleague at, at Amazon, they're expecting her services in a recruiting transaction. Yeah. So we have to be that good. So we're also looking at consumer solutions as well. Wow. Right. Uh, and think about what the buying experience we've come to expect is. Yes. Seamless, predictive. Personalized. Sh- personalized, <laughs> quick. Yes. Really quick, amazingly <laughs> quick. Yeah, really interesting. Okay, very cool. So you're, you're sourcing from a number of different uh, disciplines as well as um, industries and kind of putting it all together. Yeah. And trying not to get hit by a car. I know. To, and then the other, the, the other thing I do, which uh, a lot of my team is always like, oh, my God, where is she this weekend? Um, I participate in a lot of activities in Boston, and I'm sure most major cities have it. So mm-hmm. um, I'm a big fan of Meetup for Business, yeah. um, Eventbrite, and uh, we have lots of venture, um, open venture forums in Boston. So mm-hmm. I'll, I go to the venture cafes and just hear what's going on. I live right in the MIT campus, and so I go to hackathons there. Cool. Um, and so because I do think it's about what's happening outside of us, not just what a large enterprise is thinking about next best thing. Right. Um, and that's really been influential in where I'm getting some of the ideas for where we're going next. Okay. And favorite podcasts? So I've been uh, listening to the Gene Chatsky Financial for Women. So yeah. that's been a, a awesome. big one. And then I'm a, I'm a never-ending NPR. Okay. So. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Okay, let's switch gears here, and I want to talk about uh, being a woman executive in the really interesting profession that we've chosen. You've overcome a lot of obstacles as a professional and as a woman and a mom to be in the position that you're in. What are you most proud of as a woman executive in talent acquisition? 
So I, I think one of the things when I talk to my children who are young adults at this point is I don't think they missed out on things because I was working. In fact, I think um, all of them know how to do more things because I was working um, and really teaching them about work ethic and succeeding and overcoming obstacles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they all know that it's, it's been important for me to have a profession and to be able to give back as well as participate in their lives and their education. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that's been really important. I took as when I was helping my father, I took some time off and my children were younger. But I remember at one point, one of my kids said to him, said to me, like, we're back at school and I was involved in the PTO. And they said, Mom, can't you go back to work? <laughs> and it wasn't that they didn't want me around, but they could see, like, what are you doing all day? Like, I wasn't, you know, I was cleaning the house and doing the food shopping and going to all the sporting events. Right. Um, and, and helping the community. But at the end of the day, I was still coaching other women about going back to work. And so I was still doing my job. Right. Um, what, I, what I like now is I do spend a lot of time helping other women figure out what do they want to do. I do have a, a number of friends and um, colleagues who did take more time off than I did. Mm-hmm. And now they're struggling to get back into the workforce. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not um, monetizing all of their non-paid skills to figure out how to come back into the workforce. In right. fact, Fidelity has partnered with two or three firms to help us do that, and mm-hmm. it, we've been very successful at it. But I even just think from a friend's standpoint, I have a lot of a lot of women who have PhDs and masters, and they're trying to say, now what do I do? I'm an empty nester, right. or my kids are self-sufficient in high school, I'm ready for the next best thing. And so that's been very gratifying. Yeah, and it's a real, uh, it's a valuable offering, isn't it? Things that you and I take for granted on how to look for a job, how to interview, how to present yourself, how to kind of gather up all that you have to offer and put it into a sales presentation. Uh, but people who haven't done a lot of it are, are um, I find they're confounded by it and in some cases really just frozen. And, and so you, you help them get unstuck. Yeah, and I think it? it is, is they're not necessarily thinking about how organizing a fundraiser or being the grant writer for the school educational fund is a valuable skill. Right. And how, what does that mean in the workforce yeah. um, as well? So it's that translation mode as well. Um, okay. And it does take a little soul searching for the person to say, so what do I really want to do now that I have some control over that? For sure. One of, uh, speaking of podcasts, one of my favorite podcasts is I Relaunch. It's, oh, yes. You, you've heard we, of this? They're yeah. a partner with us. Okay. Yes. That, that's what I wonder <laughs> because uh, it's it seems to be, I'm, I'm seeing it all over the place now. So organizations like Fidelity are really taking advantage of, of organizations like I Relaunch. Yeah. And we partner with awesome. I Relaunch and Reach Higher. Okay. Uh, another firm that's very strong about bringing women to the work, back to the workforce. Awesome. Okay, so uh, here's a question I pose as often as I can because I'm really, um, I'm, I, I'm still confused about this, and maybe you have a good answer. Why is it that so many recruiters are women, but so few recruiting leaders, you know, the top recruiting leader in an organization, are not women? What's up with that? So I think it's not so different from other jobs where you have an individual contributor who can really control the work that they're doing and do the work really well. Um, And then that next step into management has a lot of other non-recruiting activities into it, administrative, people management, um, uh, senior management leadership, uh, managing politics and all those other things that not everybody finds satisfying or doesn't feel that that's their, their strength. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we often have this time as we're always looking to make sure we have bench strength. And there's just people that say, I don't want to do that or I, I can't do that now. So I think time commitment is a little bit. Flexibility is definitely another piece of it. Um, that if you're a recruiter and you know what your goals are, um, you can pretty own how and when you're delivering on that. When you go into management, sometimes you don't you lose a little bit of control. And I've seen that in sales management. I've seen it in some other fields as well. The nice part about being a recruiter is it usually can be location agnostic. Um, in fact, a lot of talent acquisition roles can be. Um, when you add on that management component, there could be more physical uh, location right. demands as well. So you lose some flexibility. We had a recruiter whose husband was transferred to the D.C. area. She can move her job to D.C. If mm-hmm. she were responsible for local client management, that may not have been as easy. Right, right, right. And moving is a thing, isn't yes. it? Even in this <laughs> virtual world. I mean, I've moved five times for my job. Yep. Thankfully, I have a flexible <laughs> husband. You've moved for I, your job. So, and, and it's a matter of, uh, you know, the, is it the lean-in concept? Is it, is it Sheryl Sandberg saying, women, take the hard jobs, put up your hand and volunteer for the, you know, tough role that nobody else wants to take, and that's the key? I, I think some of it is you have to be mm-hmm. willing to take a chance. And I think not everybody, um, you know, a lot of times we're asked to move to help fix a problem. Right. We often get brought in to say, okay, you know, is this optimized or do we have to rethink a strategy? And those, you know, can be pretty risky. Um, and right. not everybody really wants to take those risks, even if you're internal to an organization, because there could be, a, is this really supported? Um, is it the right time in my life? Is there too much to risk? And I think the last part is, is it's hard to move a family, right? And so depending upon right. the point in your life, Um, uh, You know, you and I have moved. We've had flexible jobs where sometimes you just needed to be near an airport. Mm -hmm. Um, I recently moved to Boston, but it was a time where all my kids were going to college. Right. And so I had much more flexibility in that they were coming home less and less because they're doing off off doing fun things. Um, And so those demands shift over time as well. Good. Okay. Well, thank you for helping me continue to grapple (laughs) with that. That's it's hard because I just I'm I'm a big cheerleader, especially for great women recruiters, to just push them forward and continue to encourage them. You know, take those tough assignments, volunteer. Put, you know, make sure that you know people want that you want to advance because it's not assumed, unfortunately. No. So sometimes you have to put the hand up. So just a one added note: yeah. recently we took a few recruiters out of their role and put them on special projects, and while they still describe themselves as recruiters. I will say all of them have grown in such a great way that they can't imagine going back to just the recruiting oh, job. Oh, interesting. So it's been okay. a great way to expand people's skill sets um, and just give them broader exposure. So if they now want to do some other type of management, whether it's project management or people management, they've gotten other training and le- lenses, which includes one, one young woman, she's now become a scrum master. Okay. So that's a very marketable skill within our organization, hopefully cool. not outside our organization. Right. But it gives her much more flexibility from a growth standpoint. Awesome. All right, so speaking of management and leadership, what's your approach to leadership? How would your team members describe you? Um, so I think they, um, I call it organized chaos, to be okay. honest with you. So when I joined, uh, when I joined any team, I really kind of put the challenge out that if, if they thought I was joining because things were going to stay the same, then we really need to have a, have a serious conversation. And so um, I think they really turned to me to make sure that I'm giving that outside in perspective. We've been getting more and more comfortable with having things be 80% 
good as opposed to waiting for 120% perfect. Oh, interesting. Which is a different mindset for um, our entire organization. Mm -hmm. We're really focusing on what we call pace over perfection. Mm-hmm. And in our organization over the last three years across the different um, groups, we've probably run 20 to 30 pilots. And so there's been a big push on let's try it, small, fail fast, and then move forward. Um, the other thing we've been doing as a group is they're, they're very cognizant of um, we, were, we talk to ourselves a lot. And as a private company, we don't always share. In our space, I always say, we're not curing cancer. You and I talk to each other. We've worked at competing firms. We talk to almost everybody in the industry. There's value in talking to colleagues so that you don't make the same mistakes. And nobody's solution is ever identical, but you can learn a lot from talking to other colleagues. So I've put a big emphasis on getting my first two tiers of leadership out in the marketplace, whether it's coming to ERE. We have somebody this week at Career Crossroads. Mm -hmm. We'll send somebody to the conference board to make sure that they're meeting a peer group and building a networking so that before we're doing something, you can pick up the phone and call somebody. Okay. Um, and I'm a big believer in that. Wow, terrific. Yeah, it's fun too. Uh-huh, a- a- absolutely. And makes those connections outside your organization that actually people crave. Yes. And when they realize just how valuable that can be, it enhances the way that they feel about their current role. It I does, imagine, and I think right? it creates space for them and gives them permission to learn differently. Um, amongst a real peer group as well. All right, switching gears again, candidate experience is a huge topic, right? The Candy Awards just happened. So everybody's talking about uh, candidate experience. How do you think about it, especially for Fidelity? So we actually have what we're calling prospect experience as one of the initiative that stems from the head of HR. Um, And so we're, my team along with others, are charged with thinking about it. We, we, when we undertook the redesign process and sort of the um, analysis of our recruiting process, when we put together the teams, the teams were um, built in small pods, scrum, scrum activities with the candidate at the center. Okay. So that's very different from what had become a compliance-driven kind of approach because we have a, we've had a lot of things layered onto the recruiting process over the years and we're taking them back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we focused on process simplification, transparency, and ease of use for recruiters, candidates, and hiring managers. And we're not quite there yet, but everything we do is with that in mind. We're redesigning our application to make it easier and simpler and faster. We've been mobile enabled for a while, okay. um, but everything has been really thought of with that. We're actually having a debate now, should we apply for the Candy Awards? Mm -hmm. And we just want to make sure some of the requirements we could handle. And and it is a debate, like, does it matter? Should it matter? And I said, at the very least, it's a benchmark for how we're doing. Um, Also, as part of this organized chaos, I put a challenge out to my team, to um, all the recruiters over the last year, they've had to apply for jobs that they recruit for at other companies. So our own version of mystery shopping. Yeah. And I wanted them to understand what candidates, if they're applying for a job at Fidelity versus State Street, or they're a college hire, they're applying for an analyst program, go be them and see, is that process easier than ours? And it was a big learning for the team that not everybody does it our way. Some of them were fast and simple. Some Mm -hmm. of them were even more onerous than ours. Mm -hmm. But it was a reminder that we have to think like the candidate. So we got some really good learnings out of it. Wow. So, so again, it's prospect 
experience, prospect not experience. candidate experience. Again, kind of tying to the sales realm. Exactly. As opposed to the HR realm. As opposed to the HR realm. And we really think that, you know, we have a lot of customers, um, clients that are personal clients or clients that are, we're providing services to their employer. Right. So we also want to mirror what the company's focus is on having the best um, client experience. Um, from the marketplace as well. Of course. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, the mystery shopper or mystery candidate, that's um, a really interesting point. I have long been an advocate of that, and I've talked to Jerry Crispin, you know, about maybe adding that aspect to the Candy Awards because right now it's survey-based, which is, of course, valid, and I think the data is significant, but um, I just wonder if all the same results would be found if there was a sort of an independent finger into an organization in addition to the surveys. So what do you think? So um, I say this because Jerry is one of my closest um, career counselors. Um, A long time ago, um, when I was at the bank, we got caught in one of the first Career Crossroads mystery shoppers. And so I will never forget the fact that we didn't pick up on it, Mm -hmm. but it was Vinnie Bob Boots and then Goldilocks, oh. I think, were the, so they were very blatantly. Okay. And so I, you know, I think that there's value. If we can get real live candidate feedback, I think that's great. Right. Um, but he still does that other survey. Yeah. Um, and so um, I'm not a fan of that one. Mm-hmm. I do ask when our recruiters are applying to other jobs, at some point they have to take themselves out of the process. Uh-huh. Um, right. But um, so I'm not a fan of that one. I got caught with that almost 20 years ago, uh-huh. and it was not a pleasant situation. No doubt. Yes. <laughs> so. Right. Lots of learning. Exactly. Lots of learning. Okay. Good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you enjoyed Tara's candor about her experience in RPO, leading large teams, and navigating the interesting challenges of being a woman executive as much as I did. In our third and final installment of this interview, you'll hear Tara's thoughts on artificial intelligence in recruiting, metrics, handling failure, and leading through a CEO succession. Please take a listen. My thanks to Todd Raphael and the ERE team, Caroline Boucher, marketing guru for People Results, and of course, Patty Johnson, CEO and fearless wavemaker at People Results. Without them, Big Fish in the Talent Pool would not have happened. Until next time, in the words of my friend Dory, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Erin directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Erin on Twitter at Erin McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.